Hello. Good morning. Thank you. How are we going? Good. I answered my own question. <laughs> if um. <laughs> well, I'm good. Is anyone else good? <laughs> There's a few um faces that I don't know. My name's Sam. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. I spend most of my Sundays at our Liverpool campus with my husband, Mark. We um, uh, pastor the campus over there. But it's wonderful to be able to get back here uh, once a month to be able to be in worship with you guys and, uh, and preach. So I'm really pleased to be here this morning. How about we pray? Father, we want to thank you for who you are. God, as has already been said and sung over this place this morning, you are good, you are faithful, you're never changing. And God, we just honour you and we pray that this morning as we sit under your word that your Holy Spirit would come and change us, God, that we would um, have our eyes and our hearts open to what you might want to say, where you want to challenge us this morning. And I pray that we would... Choose to leave this place differently this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was in high school, I was absolutely terrified of public speaking. Terrified of it. When I was in year eight, I had this English teacher that somehow, I can't remember the details, but somehow I had a deal with him that um, he wouldn't ask me to speak or to read out loud in class, because I was so afraid of doing so. But then one day, we had a substitute teacher, and this guy didn't know this little arrangement that I had made with my normal English teacher. And so he called on me to read something out loud. And I was terrified. My heart started to pound, and I thought I was going to vomit So I can't remember the details, but somehow I managed to make some kind of excuse to get out of there so that I didn't have to speak out loud. Quite ironic that I'm now in a position that I'm in and have to regularly speak in front of people, but by the grace of God, it no longer terrifies me. (laughs) Maybe you've been in a position like that before where you've been called upon to speak maybe in front of a group, maybe in front of a large group, and you were afraid to do so. This morning I want to tell you an amazing story. A woman in the Bible, a woman of courage, who was called upon to speak, and her name is Esther. Now the story of Esther takes place after the Babylonian exile. So the Israelites who were living in Jerusalem were taken captive by the Babylonians in, and they were in exile in Babylon. And about 70 years later, the Persian Empire had overthrown the Babylonians and they were the ruling power. Now around this time, they had allowed some of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem, but there were still a lot of Jews living in exile throughout the Persian Empire. And Esther was one of these Jews. Esther was born while the Israelites were in exile. And she had a pretty rough start. Her parents were killed 
And she ended up being raised by her cousin Mordecai, who raised her like she was his own daughter. She was just an ordinary girl living in a foreign land who'd experienced hardships and painful experiences. Now, the king at the time, his name was King Xerxes, and he was the king over this whole kind of light blue area, and it was pretty large, 127 provinces in total. Now, he got a little bit upset with his wife, the queen, and ended up banishing her to another place, and so got to a point where he needed to find a new queen. And so in comes Esther. Her, she was also known as Hadasha. And so she, along with a number of other virgins in the provinces, were brought to the palace to undergo beauty treatments. Now, Mel, you would have liked this. For a whole year, they underwent beauty treatments. Now, who does, any, does that sound good to anybody? A, a couple of women? I don't think I would have liked it for a whole year, but um, they endured (laughs) beauty treatments for a whole year. And once they were complete, the king selected his new queen. And Esther was the one who found favour with the king. This ordinary girl, little did the king know that she was a Jew and she was the next queen of the Persian Empire. And then we see this amazing, remarkable story just unfold throughout the rest of the book of Esther. And it follows this pattern that Nathan spoke about about three weeks ago. God prepares her, God calls her, she steps out and then God steps in. So I want to just tell you the rest of the story using that little pattern and then... I want to pull out three lessons that I think we can learn and we can take away and apply in our lives today. So let me tell you the rest of the story using this pattern. Firstly, God prepared Esther. As I said, she was just an ordinary girl living in a foreign place. And then all of a sudden, she, be, she gets the highest position that a woman could hold. She's the queen. How amazing and remarkable is that, that she now has favour with the king. What a position to be in. And, you know, it's no accident that she was in this position where she had access to political power. It was God's plan and God's purpose to put her in that place where she had access to political power for what is about to come for what he's about to call her to. And then in Esther 2, verses 21 to 23, we hear that Mordecai, her cousin, hears about this plot to assassinate the king. And so when Mordecai hears about this, he sends word to his cousin Esther to let her know what's going on. And so Esther approaches and makes sure that the king knows that There are these guys out there who are planning, who are plotting to kill you. Turns out that was true. They catch the guys. King's not killed. But in doing so, imagine what the king would have thought of Esther. 
I can trust this woman. She's got my back. She's heard about an assassination attempt and she's made sure I know it about it and made sure it's not going to happen. Important part of what's about to come, that the, tr- the king knows that he can trust her. Then she's call- God calls Esther and he uses her cousin, the man who's raised her, the man who she knows she can trust, the man who's looked after her all of her life. God uses him to call Esther to what he wants her to do. As the story continues, now Mordecai kind of rubs the king's right-hand man up the wrong way. His name is Haman, and he refuses to bow down to Haman, and so he, Haman gets extremely upset. And rather than just dealing with Mordecai, he decides he wants to wipe out all the Jews. He hates them. He hates that these foreigners are living in the empire and he wants to get rid of them. So he goes to the king and he comes up with this plan and the king agrees to it and signs off on it. And these letters are sent out to the provinces with a specific day that the Jews are going to be annihilated. They're going to be killed. They're going to be wiped out all at the hands of Haman. And so when... Mordecai finds out that this is what Haman's got planned, as you would would be, he was kind of troubled by this. And so he tears off his clothes, he puts on ashes and um, sackcloth, which is normal, by the way. I know that's not something that we do today when we're deeply troubled, but that was a normal part of mourning. And he walked through the city crying and weeping out loud. Now Esther hears about this and she's like, what on earth is going on? What is wrong with my cousin? She sends him some clothes, put on some clothes, mate, please. What's going on? He refuses to put on clothes because he's mourning. He's sorrowful about what is to come to him and to his people that he loves. And so she's like, well, what's wrong? What's this big thing that's troubling you? What on earth has happened? And we'll pick up what it says from chapter 4, 7 and 8. Mordecai told, sorry, before this happened, she obviously can't just go out and talk to her cousin. So she sends out one of her attendants. And he goes out to Mordecai and this is what Mordecai says to him. He told him the whole story including the exact amount of money that Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all the Jews. So the the letter that was written to all the provinces so that the, the Jews would be wiped out, he gave a copy of that to Hathak to take back to Esther. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king, to beg for mercy and to plead for her people. Now, you've got to remember at this point, the king doesn't know that the Jews are her people. And this is what Esther says back. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officers officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone 
who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So if she goes, there's a very good chance she's going to be killed if she approaches the king to do what Mordecai is asking her to do. And so Mordecai sends this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the place in, in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Mordecai knew and believed in God's sovereign plan for redemption of his people. And he recognised the role that he was playing, but more importantly that Esther was about to play in God's sovereign plan for redemption of his people. The plan that God was calling Esther to preserve the Jews. And so Mordecai called this out in Esther. You're in a position that no other one of our people are in. And who knows if maybe you're actually there for this moment, for this time to intervene on our behalf. And then we see Esther step out and God step in. And I've put them in the one heading because they just kind of intertwine beautifully between each other. So firstly, Esther steps out, chapter 4, 15 and 16. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I, die, if I must die, I must die. So the first way that she stepped out was that she asked Mordecai and the Jews and her maids and herself to pray and fast, to stop for three days and to seek God, to wait on God. That was the first thing she did. Then we see her approach the king. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. Imagine that moment as she gets to the door knowing that this could be it. I could die here. The king doesn't have to welcome her in. He is well within his rights to say, you're gone. He's already banished one queen. We know that he's willing to get rid of wives. And here she is standing at the entrance and God steps in. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her. He held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. The first place that we see God step in. The king welcomes her in. And then she steps out. He says to her, what is it that you want, dear? <laughs> Maybe not in those exact words. What is it? What can I help you with, Esther? 
and she invites him to a banquet. She invites the king and she invites Haman to a banquet that she had prepared for them. The king agrees and they join her at this banquet and they eat and they drink and then he says, so what's your request, Esther? What is it that you would like from me? And she says, well, come to another banquet. I'm going to put on another banquet tomorrow and I would like you and Haman to come and join me again at this banquet. And then we see this incredible story in chapter 6 of God stepping in in this amazing way. Now, remember, Esther hadn't yet presented her request to the king. She hadn't asked for the Jews to be pardoned yet. She hadn't asked for them to be spared. She hadn't asked anything other than to come and eat with her. And as the king and, and Haman leave the banquet, Mordecai see, sorry, Haman sees Mordecai, the guy that he can't stand. And he remembers, I can't stand this guy. He won't bow down to me. And yes, I've organised for him to be wiped out in a few months' time, but I'd really like it done a bit sooner. And so he starts to come up with this plan to have Mordecai killed the following day. He goes home, he tells his family about it. I can't stand this bloke. He's, I'm in a position of power. He's, he's a goner. Meanwhile, God steps in because the king can't sleep. And while, because he couldn't sleep, he called for the book that documents the history of his reign to be brought to him. And he starts reading. And he reads the story about where there was an assassination attempt, a plot to kill him. And he reads that Mordecai was the one that actually warned of that, that told Esther about the plot that these guys had to kill the king. And so he says to his attendant, did we actually ever honour Mordecai for what he did to save my life? And the attendant says, no, we didn't. And so the next day, at the precise moment that Haman had planned to have Mordecai murdered, the king has this other plan to have him honoured in the most spectacular way. And just so that we know that God has a sense of humour, it's actually Haman's job to do the big parade that honours Mordecai. Just amazing. Now, there's a plan in place for the Jews to be spared. But Haman was getting in early on Mordecai. And what this says to us is that God cares about the one. He cared about Mordecai's life. He stepped in in a spectacular way and saved Mordecai's life. And in doing so, it says to us that he deeply cares about the one. Next we see Esther step out and this is the moment. This is the big moment where she's going to ask for what she wants the king to do in chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet, the second banquet, on the second occasion while they were drinking wine 
The king again said to Esther, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Esther replied, if I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my, my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been, for my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could have remained quiet, for that would be too trivial a manner to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a king, uh, such a thing? King Xerxes demanded. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? And Esther replied to him, "This wicked." Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale, as you would, (laughs) with fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. What a moment for her to speak. You know, she doesn't know what his response is going to be. This is, Haman is his right-hand man. They've been doing life together. They've been ruling the empire together. And she's stepping in and she's saying, this guy has plotted to kill my people. He's got a choice. Am I going to listen to my wife and back what she wants? Or am I going to back Haman? And then God steps in. And the king issues a new decree which spares the lives of the Jews. A beautiful pattern of preparing Esther, of God calling her her stepping out and God stepping in. A remarkable story of courage. As I said earlier, I believe that we can learn some stuff from Esther this morning, this life that mimics that pattern that I just spoke about. And there's three specific points that I'd like to point out from this story and for us to focus on this morning. And the first one is that Esther was called to do something great but it required courage. This famous scripture, which a number of you I'm sure know, from chapter 4, verse 14, says, Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Esther was placed in a position of influence at exactly the right moment in history to be able to step in and to intervene for God's people to be able to intervene and to speak on behalf of the Jews and to stop a massacre. That's pretty, quite a great thing. Would you agree? (laughs) The second point this morning is that courage wasn't Esther's first response. When Mordecai calls her to go and plead for mercy, with the king on behalf of the Jews, this is what she says. Then Esther told Hathach to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the province know that anyone who appears before the king in the inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless he holds out his scepter. So she knew this. This law speculated that unless the king said, come on in, her fate was death. Pretty extreme. I don't blame her for not just jumping up and down and saying, yes, please pick me, off I go. Courage wasn't her first response, but what she does next is key. 
She took her fear to God. She asks Mordecai, the Jews, her maids, to join her in prayer, to join her in fasting. They seek God for three days. And I imagine what might have happened during those three days, that as she drew near to God, as she prayed, as she sat with him, as she waited on him, what might have happened in her spirit, the strength that might have started to rise up within her. Like it says in Isaiah 40, 31, that when we wait, when we wait patiently for the Lord, gives us strength. And those three days were up and the law hadn't changed. The law still speculated that if she went to see the king, the punishment could be death. And yet she stepped forward. She chose to step out and she chose to speak. Because courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is acting in spite of fear. And as people of God, I believe that really the only way that we can do that is when we wait on the Lord, is when we get our strength from him. So how about you? What's the great thing that you have been called by God to do that might require a little bit of courage on your part. Maybe it's to have a great marriage that is a strong example to those around you of what a Christ-centered marriage looks like. But if you're honest with yourself right now, it doesn't really look that way. Maybe there's a whole heap of arguments and hurtful comments Men, maybe you're being a jerk to your wife. Women, maybe you're being a nag to your husband. (laughs) Or maybe there's actually silence between you because you've actually started to check out altogether. Do you know, it takes courage to speak up. It takes courage to have those difficult conversations with your spouse and to admit that, hey, we might need to get some help here. It takes courage. And if courage hasn't been your first response, then take heart, you're in good company because it wasn't Esther's either. But can I encourage you, if you're in that situation this morning, to seek God first. And then you have a choice. After you've sat with God, Am I going to step out and am I going to speak and am I going to have the difficult situation, have a conversation about the difficult situation? Or maybe the great thing that God is calling you to is to build a great financial legacy for your children and your grandchildren. But if you're honest this morning, things have been a bit hard. The finances aren't looking so good and you could really use some outside help. Do you know, it takes courage to admit that, to admit that I might need some help in this area. And if courage hasn't been your first response so far, then take heart, you're in good company because it wasn't Esther's first response either. But my encouragement for you this morning is to seek God.
to sit with him first and then make the choice whether to step out and choose to make a stand and to step out and do what you need to do in that area and ask for help. Or maybe the great thing that God is calling you to do is to tell that friend or family member about who Jesus is. You know in your heart that God wants you to take that next step, that God wants you to speak, that God wants you to share your story, to tell that person that you love about the joy and the relationship that you found with Jesus. But courage hasn't been your first response in that relationship. Well, guess what? You're in good company because it wasn't for Esther either. But we have a choice to seek God first and then to speak. We have the same choice in front of us as Queen Esther did as to whether or not to open our mouths and share Jesus. Or maybe these three examples aren't maybes at all. Maybe they're actually great things that we're all called to do, that we're all called to have great marriages and to leave a legacy for the next generation and to open our mouths and speak about the hope and the joy that we have in a relationship with Jesus. But stepping out in these areas and many of the other examples that I could have listed, stepping out in those areas is a choice. Queen Esther had a choice. No one was forcing her to do anything and no one is forcing us to do anything. But we have a choice whether or not we want to live great lives that honour God and point people to God or whether we just want to stay where where we're at. But living a great life requires for us to get a little bit of courage, to seek God in the moments where it's hard and to choose to have those difficult conversations, to choose to look inwardly and go, what is it in me that needs to change so that I can move forward in all that God's calling you to? Because I believe God is calling each of us as individuals to amazing and great and wonderful things that we haven't even yet began to dream of. But it requires courage from us. It requires a willing heart to go, God, I'm, I'm in Do what you need to do in me in order for me to take that step. I'm going to finish with this, but as I was preparing this message, one of the things that really hit me was that Esther was called to speak and the consequence of her not doing so meant death for the people that she loved, her people, her family, her friends, the people that she loved. Are we not in the same position? Do we have friends and family who are far away from God, who don't know who he is, who, do, who are not yet walking in a relationship with Jesus? And do we not believe that if that person doesn't come to know Jesus, then ultimately their fate is that they'll spend eternity separated from God? Now, thankfully, we're not in a position where we're, we are going to be killed if we don't speak But in that moment where Esther 
was faced with that decision and she chose to say yes, her response was, if I must die, I must die. Could we say that we would be willing to be rejected? If I must be rejected, I must be rejected. If I must be laughed at, I must be laughed at. Kind of a challenging thing for us to think about. Would we be willing, are we willing to speak when we're called upon? Do we love and care for the fate of our friends and family enough to be have to face whatever consequence might come to us if we choose to speak? Imagine if as a church we really got this. Imagine if we grabbed hold of this with everything we've got. Imagine what Alpha would look like next term. Groups filled with people that we've invited to come and to hear about Jesus. That's pretty exciting to think about. As I finish, I'm going to invite the worship team up and... I want you to take a moment to think, what is it for you? What is it for you, that great thing that you know that God is asking you to do, to stepping out, to step out in? But if you're honest, you're lacking a little bit of courage. I want to encourage you this morning to give that over to God. And we're not going to spend three days in prayer, but we're going to spend a few moments just seeking God and asking him to fill us with his strength. Because when we step out, it's nothing about what we've got in us and all about the person of Jesus who is living and active and alive in and through us. So can we stand together? And God, I pray that as we take a few moments just to seek you, to stand in your presence, God, I pray that you would highlight to us the areas that we can take courage, the areas that we're lacking courage at the moment that you want us to step out in. Father, I thank you that we have loved ones that you have called us to speak to. And God, I pray this morning that we would be challenged, that we would be stirred up, that we would be able to say like Esther did, if I must, whatever it is, I'm willing to go there. God, because we know that it is your heart and it is your desire for all people to come into relationship with you. And we thank you that you use us, ordinary men and women, to speak life and to speak truth. And so, God, where we have not chosen courage first, we're sorry. And, God, we pray that you fill us with the strength to be able to say yes to move forward when opportunity comes our way to speak in Jesus' name.